Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. A fairly mixed day in the market trade on Tuesday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today once again. Always great to have you along for the ride as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and a again, a fairly mixed day on Tuesday. Grains, a little bit of a rebound from Monday selling, while the livestock trade was relatively mixed on the session. Quiet outside markets as well. The stock market, energies, crude oil down a little over 1%. We have plenty that we're watching here, plenty of storylines we're watching, including South American weather, whether or not we're seeing more fund liquidation in these markets, plenty of things to take a look at. We're going to talk about it coming up here during the show today. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. He will join us coming up in segment two and three to discuss the markets and give us his take on what he is seeing throughout grain, livestock trade and more. Also, we're watching news headlines. We're going to talk about that South American crop. We get an update from Ag Rural when it comes to the Brazilian crop and a little bit on the Argentine crop as well. We're going to get to that as well as other news headlines coming up here at the end of the show today. So stick around for that. Kicking things off, though, first with comments from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, talking to Arlen around midday on Tuesday. We start our conversation looking at the grain trade. I ask Arlen, is this a technical bounce we saw on Tuesday, or is it something else? He describes what he's seeing in the grain trade. Yeah, kind of all of the above. When you see the kind of losses that we've seen of late, you're going to be looking for some traders to take profits on those short positions if they see a slowing of that downward momentum. And we saw that. You're also going to see some end users come in and do some buying on that type of a price break, especially as they see the selling start to ease. And, and we saw that. Um, the question is, where do we go from here? And soybeans have had the most trouble hanging on. In fact, soybeans moved into negative territories, moved closer uh, to mid, uh, mid-session mid here um, because of the rains in Argentina. That's where the market has been trading. The Argentine drought is in the soybean market. I actually think if there's a place to trade it, it's probably more appropriate in corn because corn's more at risk, but that's not reality what the market's been doing. It's been trading soybeans. That's where it built its length. That's where the traders are most nervous. That's where we're seeing the weakness. As you indicated, corn and wheat holding so far, um, but uh, we'll have to see. The pattern of late has been to sell the rallies. We'll have to see how much rally we get before the selling comes back to those markets as well. I know in the core market, we did get a, a private sale reported uh, 130,000 metric tons uh, on the morning wire. You know, I know we're watching to see if that corn export window starts to open up more here for U.S. corn. But a uh, sale like that, uh, obviously not uh, maybe not an indication. I think we're just still kind of waiting to see if that export window will open up here, Arlen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And typically it does. As we go into February, March, April, we become the cheapest source of corn on the world market at that point. And so we do get the business. Why do we become the cheapest source? Because our competition runs out of corn to sell. Um, and so we are the place to buy it at that point. And so the business comes back until we see new crop harvested corn in Argentina and Brazil start to make its way back on the world market. Once again, that Argentine crop is going to be much smaller this year. There will still be corn coming on the market later in the year from Argentina, just not as much of it. And that should increase demand for U.S. corn even more. The question is going to be the Brazil safrina crop, but they haven't even planted that crop yet. They'll be planting that primarily in the month of February. Uh, and then we'll have to see how the weather season plays out for them down there on that. But at least from the Argentine drought problems, we should see an increase in U.S. exports um, coming in the months ahead as a result of that. Over in the livestock trade, fairly mixed day in cattle. Hogs under some more pressure. I was wondering if we would find a bottom and find some support in this hog market today. But so far, that doesn't seem to be the case, Arlen. No, it really doesn't. And our problem in the hog market is, is we just really haven't seen a sustained turn. You know, something we can say, okay, the cash market and the product market has hit bottom. Um, the product market is our biggest focus right now. And uh, we're still seeing some weakness there. It's really interesting to note when you think, okay, low prices should create demand. Um, the latest data that came out for the month of December, retail price data, shows the average retail pork price down ticking from the prior two months, but not, not as much as what the wholesale values are that the market responds to. In fact, the retail wholesale pork price spread, in other words, the retail margin for retailers was at record high in December. So consumers aren't going to increase their purchases as long as the retailers are holding prices up there to take advantage of those profitable margins. And again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, talking to him around midday on Tuesday. Well, U.S. farm and trade officials raised grave concerns over Mexico's agricultural biotechnology policies in meetings with their Mexican counterparts on Monday as lingering disagreements threaten decades of booming corn trade between the two neighbors. Washington's concerns center on the Mexican president's push to ban so-called biotech corn or varieties developed with genetically modified organisms from entering Mexico if it is destined for human consumption. Now, the United States accounts for most of Mexico's corn imports. Now, according to U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai, in a statement on Monday saying, quote, we made it clear today that if this issue is not resolved, we will consider all options, including taking formal steps to enforce our rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Mexico's proposed approach, which is not grounded in science, still threatens to disrupt billions of dollars in bilateral agricultural trade, cause serious economic harm to U.S. farmers and Mexican livestock producers, and stifle important innovations needed to help producers respond to pressing climate and food security challenges, according to the statement from Catherine Tai. Now, the countries have been at odds here over the decree issued by Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador in 2020 that sought to phase out imports of genetically modified corn and the herbicide glyphosate. By 2024, Mexico decided to postpone its ban of GMO corn purchases from the U.S. until 2025, a decision deemed satisfactory by the U.S. government. Now, U.S. officials are making it crystal clear that Mexico must abide by its USMCA commitments, and this is a significant development and good news for corn growers. That, according to President of the National Corn Growers Association, Tom Hag, as corn growers came out praising Biden officials for their stance on biotech corn. 
Now, also, uh, Haig said in his statements that Secretary Vilsack and USTR Ambassador Ty are making it crystal clear that they're going to uh, make the Mexican government abide by what it agreed to under USMCA. These leaders understand that banning biotech corn would deliver a blow to American farmers and exacerbate current food insecurity in Mexico by drastically raising prices for corn, basic foods, and other critical products derived from corn in the Mexican economy, end quote. Now, the administration's actions come after the presidents of 23 state corn grower groups joined by the president of the NCGA sent a letter to President Biden in December calling for him to take additional steps to address the pending decree by Mexico that would block imports of biotech corn. So this issue definitely not going away anytime soon. It'll be interesting to see how the U.S. and Mexico can attempt to work out their issues surrounding Mexico's potential GMO corn ban. All right, coming up next here, we're going to continue after the break on Market Talk. We'll be back with market analysis from Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. We'll be back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. We'll take a look at the market trade after Tuesday's session close. We saw a fairly mixed day. Quarter wheat found some strength off of Monday's selling pressure. Soybeans, though, couldn't hold on to that strength on the day Tuesday. Livestock trade mostly lower. We're going to discuss it all. We're going to bring in our good friend Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joining us today here on Market Talk. Jim, good to catch up with you, sir. And uh, I know it was... Uh, before the new year, before we got to talk. So I wish you a happy new year. Thanks for being on the show. Well, good afternoon, Jesse, and thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, a lot of talk about today, a lot of volatility. Uh, you know, the, we're kind of in the winter doldrums here in Chicago. They're talking chances of snow tonight. I know there's big storms talking and coming across parts of, you know, central Illinois and Indiana, but uh, we are in the midst of a major summer weather market in, uh, you know, South America, and that's definitely having a big impact on our markets here the last couple of days. It definitely is. It definitely is. That South American weather, we knew it was going to come into focus as a big topic, and it sure has here the last couple of days, Jim. And I think to start, this soybean complex, it seems like that's the one that has most folks in the trade worried right now. Uh, we weren't able to hold on to the strength on the day Tuesday that quarter wheat were able to hold on to. Argentina weather seems to be improving a bit, although that crop in rough shape. Uh, but this soybean complex, they're just, it's got that eerie feeling to it that maybe uh, maybe the downside uh, pressure could start to come in more and more here. So what's your thoughts with soybeans right now as you look at this market here after the first couple of sessions this week? Well, right now, I think you're kind of in a classic weather market at this point in time. I mean, we've put a lot of beans have really surged higher. A lot of it's on the strength of the meal. The reason why meal leads us group is because Argentina is one of the biggest meal producers in the world. If Argentina has a small crop, they're not going to get as much meal out of the country, and that meal demand is going to come to the United States. And with this dryness issue they've been fighting up until recently, we've brought a lot of day traders and fund investors, just pure spec money into our markets. The meal position, Jesse, right now, according to CFTC report, is the largest meal position ever carried by the funds. And the beans are not at the largest position ever, but they are at the highest we've seen in the past nine months. So the reality, this is a quite crowded trade by the longs, and we're starting to see an atmospheric change in South America. Argentina has started getting some rain over this past weekend. That's why the market broke coming out of the weekend so hard. And now we're seeing a little bit more pressure today, ignoring the bounce in the corn and wheat because there is more rain on the way over the next 10 days. 
Now, the damage is done on some of this crop, but some of this crop has just been recently planted. So the reality is it will have helped some of this crop. And at a worst case, it has stabilized the crop. So the fuel to the market has been every, you know, every day the crop is getting smaller. That brought buyers into the market. So Jesse, as just this rain talk that is stabilizing the crop, which is limiting the buyers. And what's making everybody nervous, including myself, is will this be enough to chase the funds out, especially in this meal market? The meal market traditionally is a relatively small market compared to like the bean complex, the wheat complex, and the corn complex. So if we start seeing an aggressive liquidation by the speculators out of this meal due to the fact they say, hey, the party's over, ring the bell, this crop's not getting any smaller, and they run for the exit, you could see a pretty hard, dramatic down couple of days. And that's what, you know, that's what's got the trades a little bit nervous right now. Well, and thinking about that, if we see that exodus in the meal market, you know, what in soybeans, what are we thinking downside targets here? Maybe not necessarily as much old crop. I, I guess I'll ask you that, you know, old crop and new crop, you know, are there's any gaps you're seeing on the chart we need to go fill? I mean, what's, what's maybe some of those downside targets if we see some of that exodus here out of the meal market, Jim? Well, you're looking at some of the winter lows, but I think like on the November bean chart, there's a gap, I believe, somewhere right around 1292, I believe, off the top of my head, is somewhere in that zone. That, that's kind of the worst case scenario. Now, I don't think they're going to go there right away, Jesse, but I think it will be a stair step down. I mean, what's going to pretty much happen, folks, is you're going to start seeing the market start looking at the crop getting better in Argentina. And then they're going to weigh it off the crop size in Brazil, which right now, by all, most accounts, it is going to be one of the biggest crop ever. Now, Brazil's just started harvesting this crop. It's a little bit delayed coming out. But as this crop starts getting harvested and starts moving to the market, this export demand that we've seen recently is probably going to dry up. So the combination of you got smaller exports with more competition from Brazil, the emotional trade being over with in the Argentina, you could see this market work its way a little bit lower. Then we'll see what the acreage battle looks like at the end of March. And then as we see how that plays out, then you're just going to potentially stair-step yourself lower as the market gets more and more comfortable uh, where the world supply is. You brought up that acreage battle, and I think that is something very interesting that uh, we we got to keep in mind here, even you know at the end of January, Jim. I know there's been a few different surveys out. A recent one, Farm Futures, talked about that acreage battle. I know there's talk corn around 90.5 million acres, soybeans around 88.9, maybe more wheat acres just because it takes less nitrogen. So thinking about that acreage battle shaping up here in the U.S. on top of everything else, I feel like that's an underlying story in these uh, grain markets as a whole, Jim, that's really, really going to start picking up steam. If it hasn't already, it's going to in the next couple of weeks. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I think it is picking up steam, um, you know, because people like ourselves are starting to run these balance sheets right now. Now, granted, we don't get the first, we'll get the first government's outlook in February. And that's just more of a, of a general, you know, call it just a kind of a general synopsis. We don't get the actual new crop balance sheet till May. But a lot of people are talking 88 million acres, 89. Now, just, you know, what makes us let's start with beans just to begin with 88 million acres. Um, if for some reason we end up with a 50 bushel national trend yield with 88, and you don't see a major demand adjustment. Your carryout's actually going to get smaller than this 210 carryout we have right now. And that's why you can't get incredibly bearish beans just yet because we don't know where it's going to be. On the other hand, you plant 88 million acres and we manage to have a 51 and a half, 52 national trend yield because La Nina is fading and we have good crops, then you're looking at carryout go the other way 
and you're looking at beans probably trading closer to 12 by the fall potentially. So that's where we're at. The corn situation is the exact same way. You're looking at 91, 91 and a half million acres of corn. If you end up with a trend yield of 181, 182, you're looking at a carryout, folks, pushing 2 billion plus without, unless you get a massive rebound in demand, which typically doesn't happen. Normally the prices have got to go down on big supplies to stimulate that demand. So you're probably going to see this corn market work its way closer to five with a better, with, with 92 million acres and trend plus yields. Now, if we, for some reason, stumble in your yields drought, then this tight balance sheet we have intact right now, that will be a little bit supportive. So there, there's a lot of water to go under this bridge of where these prices are going to be. But if, you, if you're a producer out there, I think you've got to take, I'm going to argue you've got to probably take a glass half empty type of viewpoint of these markets. The weather patterns are changing. Like I mentioned earlier, we've got moisture coming across the Ohio River Valley. We've got moisture coming in a part of the plains. California's getting shellacked with water. So we're seeing these atmospheric changes. Our weather guys are telling us La Nina is dying and we're going to go more into a neutral type of situation. And that potentially sets us up for trend plus yields. And we haven't had trend plus yields. And the worst case scenario for the American producer is we have trend yields following a record crop out of Brazil. And it's just hard to be bullish prices here, even with beans at 1350. They were just near 14 just a few days ago. But like I said, I think they could be closer to 12 with a good crop. And I think new crop corn could be closer to five. So there is some downward risk. And then you throw in the economy, which I tell you, I don't know which way it's going to go, Jesse. I don't know mm -hmm. if we're going to have a recession, a soft recession, a non-recession. But I think you got to take, well, if you look at the general trend, the Fed's raising interest rates, people are being laid off. That's not bullish traditionally. So I think that's the other reason why you got to look at the economy a little bit of glass half empty and, uh, you know, prepare for some weakness. Well, and two, with the economic point of view as well, with the debt ceiling being hit and all the issues in D.C. over that and just, you know, what would happen if something's not resolved there and we have any sort of default or if our credit rating gets lowered in the U.S., what impact does that have on the dollar, which in turn has an impact on commodities, exports, et cetera. So you're exactly right. That whole economic picture, that's just another piece to this giant puzzle right now, Jim. Well, it's a huge piece right now. I mean, the reality is this dollar, a lot of people believe the dollar is going to start firming up. If the dollar firms up, that makes our exports a little bit less competitive. Um, you know, when you look at what happened the last time we had this debt ceiling crisis uh, under the Obama administration and uh, when you had a divided Congress and it got pretty nasty and it really shook the world's confidence. Our U.S. national um, debt was actually down. Uh, credit rating was downgraded the first time ever. The stock market took a pretty good hit. And, you know, you say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, the stock market takes a hit. Is that going to affect demand for livestock? Is that going to make the demand for people going out to eat? If people feel fiscally unsecure, they tend not to spend money. They tend to rein in their spending. And that just trickles all the way down to the farm sector. So it is something we really need to be concerned about. And that's just one more reason why we're encouraging people, you know, to take a really, really serious look at your break-evens this year. Because like I like to remind people, the market does not, guarantee you a profit. 95% of the people trading commodities are trading to make money for themselves, not to make money for the producer. So you've got to be the one who takes that effort, takes that step forward and says, I'm going to make sure I have that profit margin locked in because the uncertainty in 2023 is probably some of the highest we've seen in probably 20, 25 years, potentially, when you figure the cost of money involved. We'll continue our conversation with Jim McCormick of AgMarket.net coming up right after this here on Market Talk. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, is our guest analyst today. We're going to get back to our combo with Jim in just a minute. A few of the closes from Tuesday, March corn, 10 to 3 quarters higher, 677. July corn up 10 and a half, 664 and 3 quarters. New crop, December corn, 5 and a quarter higher, 591 and a quarter. March soybeans down one and three quarters, 1488 and a half. July beans down a quarter penny, 1479 and three quarters. November new crop beans down one and a half at 1338. Bean meal for March down two ten a ton, 459.80. March bean oil down 106 points at 6098. Chicago wheat March 14 and a half higher, 734 and a half. July up 14, 744 and a half. March Kansas City wheat up 14 and three quarters at 833 and three quarters. July KC wheat that was up 14, 822 and a quarter. Spring wheat March up 15 and a quarter, 903. July spring wheat up 12 at 891. February live cattle up 37, 157.85. April lives up 75, 161.30. June up 55, 157.85. Feeder cattle for January down 22, 178.95. March feeders up 32, 183.60. Lean hogs, February down 47, 77.10. April hogs down 785.37. May hogs unchanged at 93.40 on the day Tuesday. Also, the cotton market down 115 points in March, 86.24 on the day Tuesday. All right, let's get back to our conversation now with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. He's our guest analyst here on the show today. Jim, let's talk a little more on this corn market. Uh, feels like corn markets may be in a little better shape than soybeans. And looking at the uh, close on Tuesday, fairly decent close, a little spreading between old and new crop there, it looked like. Um, but I believe March got back above its 100-day moving average. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll have to pull that up. But just your thoughts in this corn market a little bit more. Obviously, you, you touched on a few factors already when talking soybeans. But it, it, to me, feels like corn's in a little better shape, at least here in the near term. It is in better shape. I mean, on the beans, you've got the story that fed it was the, was the dry weather. The other thing is you've got the bean demand shifting away from the United States to Brazil traditionally. The good news about that is when they, we lose that bean export demand, we tend to start our corn loadout program. So we should start seeing some better corn export sales and shipments. Now, if that would start to heat up, that will definitely provide some support for the market, Jesse. A lot of people in the trade are anticipating China to be a little bit more aggressive buying U.S. corn. They have not been so far. They've been buying the Brazilian corn, which remember, they just cut that deal to start buying Brazilian corn at the end of last year, and they're taking advantage of it. But that talk that China's going to have to buy some corn for the U.S. with that carryout dropping in the January report, I believe that's going to keep some support on this old crop corn, at least until we get a better handle of the Serena crop as well as our acres. So, you know, I think what you're looking at in general, Jesse, is the market will find support down near the fall lows, roughly 45, 50 cents lower than where we are now. And then on the other hand, I think anytime you get over seven, I think you're going to find a lot of resistance because I think there is 
a lot of grain sitting in the producer's hands. I think the producers need to sell corn that gets up near seven. I'm going to encourage you to sell corn when it's up near seven because the cost of money is so expensive this year. I think, you know, you could probably sell it and reown it on paper cheaper than you can keep it stored in your bin. So I think just in general, at least for the next 30, 35, 45 days, and maybe until at least the March acreage number, this corn market's going to trade more of a sideways range, kind of like we saw today. You know, beans were under pressure, but corn and wheat were trading higher after rebounding from yesterday's shellacking. So just that kind of volatile chop is probably the indication, at least for the next few weeks for corn. Well, and again, coming back to the acreage battle thought between, say, corn and wheat, you know, looking at fertilizer prices, I know they're coming down. But one has to wonder, you know, what these wheat markets could do, what acreage could look like on the wheat side as we get into the spring. I know the winter wheat crop, we have concerns about it in the Southern Plains still. But just thinking about that potential, looking at wheat right now, especially after Tuesday's close, feels like we're going to get pretty range bound here for a little while, Jim. I wonder what your thoughts are on wheat right now. I think it's the same thing. I mean, the reality is we're going to wait and see how the, how the spring weather materializes as we come out of dormancy. We know the Western wheat belt, the Kansas City wheat belt in that area has just taken it on the chin. They are starting to get some moisture. Is that too little, too late? We don't know. So that's going to keep a bid under the market. But on the other hand, we've got Australia has got a whopper of a crop coming online. Russia continues to try to sell wheat out of its country. So that's going to limit the wheat to the upside. And then in the big picture where this wheat market's probably going to depend on in the is potentially the U.S. dollar. If the U.S. dollar weakens, that will allow us to get back into the wheat export game. But if the dollar would strengthen, that is just going to be one more hurdle the wheat market's going to face. So uh, the wheat market, like I said, sideways near term, just like the corn. But as we come out of the spring dormancy, that's where it's going to get a little bit more challenging right now. I think one other note I do want to make now about the wheat, though, if you look at that winter wheat seedings report in January, a lot of uh, winter wheat went in in the eastern corn belt. So what I think that does set us up, at least on the bean side of the equation, potentially could be adding a little bit of bearishness to the bean market is I think a lot of those acres, wheat acres, will be followed up by beans this year. And that's going to be some of the most profitable acres out there right now. So, uh, you know, if we do have a big, you know, a decent wheat crop in the soft red wheat belt followed up with the beans, you know, that's uh, something we need to keep an eye on for the bean market in the long run as well. Mm -hmm. That is a great point that you make there. Let's move over to livestock, Jim. Uh, start with this cattle market. Uh, cattle market on the day on Tuesday, mixed to lower, we'll call it here. Corn prices, wheat prices going back up, probably had an impact. But, you know, as you look at cattle, that cattle on feed report we had last Friday, neutral pretty much as expected. Uh, what's your thoughts with what's going on right now? in this cattle trade as we as we look at things. Right now, the cattle trade, there's the argument we're going to cattle trade now, there's two different arguments right now. When you look at the cattle on feed numbers, you look at the overall inventory, the cattle herd is getting smaller. It's been getting smaller now for four years. And that is definitely a bullish argument. If you go out and look at the demand numbers, or excuse me, the supply numbers, the amount of beef we're gonna produce in the US side, it's, it's hard not to get very, very bullish on that side of the equation. The real question is, you know, what's limiting us right now from, I think, really getting ag aggressive on the cattle is the demand side. Uh, what we're seeing recently is the consumer is shying away from the expensive cuts. He's going to the cheaper cuts as inflation continues to take a bite. You know, if the economy, the debt ceiling, as you mentioned, if that starts to kind of get people spooked, the demand may not be as strong as people think. And that could mute some of the supply issues we're, we're talking about. The other thing I think you got to just keep an eye on, I know we bring in a lot of beef 
you know, from Canada. But if the world's economy slow down enough, we tend to be the dumping ground for beef, unfortunately. We'll get it from Australia. We'll get it from the Argentinians. And uh, that could, you know, so, you know, it's not just the U.S. market. If the world traders can't get that protein sold to the Asians because they're struggling, we're going to end up with it. So that tight supply story that everyone in the industry is looking at, you got, I'm a little bit cautious that it may not come to fruition. So just like the grain market, I'm going to encourage producers to buy puts under these livestock just as a way to hedge off this economic risk. Well, and something as well that has been interesting is just the widespread between cattle and hogs right now. This hog market, Jim, I've been sitting here wondering, have we found a bottom yet? Can we find some support? Can we bounce off of it? Thought maybe yesterday, Monday was the day. Not so much. We sold off again. So this hog market, what do you make of just what's going on here? It just feels very sluggish right now. Well, you said it best. Everyone's looking for the bottom of this hog market. I'm optimistic we're close. You know, essentially the hog protein, some of the cheapest protein in the market. I think it's even cheaper than eggs, probably when you take it per pound <laughs> due to the egg shortage out there. It's definitely cheaper. It's cheaper than chicken. It's cheaper than beef. So the market is searching for some demand to kick in and find that price. We haven't seen it. If you look at the charts, we are massively oversold on all technical indicators. So if you can get any kind of a glimmer of hope, that this market is starting to turn on the demand aspect of it. I think you could get at least a, you know, some of a short covering rally. The China market, I mean, the reality is just in the big picture, we, we ramped up production. China ramped up production. China stayed in COVID too long. They, you know, their hog prices have dropped 50% since the fall. So, I mean, the idea that China is going to come in and buy a lot of U.S. hogs to kind of solve our oversupply problem is not quite going to happen just yet. I do think China eventually is going to hopefully get a nice rebound. They're racing through COVID. You know, they've gone from COVID zero to COVID thousand. Um, you know, at this point, I'd guess everybody in the country will have it by the end of the, you know, by the end of February. And hopefully we get a nice COVID uh, rebound, opening rebound like we saw in the Americas in Europe. But right now the hogs are searching for that bottom. I think we're close, but uh, no technical sign yet. Well, Jim, before we wrap it up here today, floor is yours. I'll give you uh, time for any final thoughts, anything else you want to mention we haven't covered or anything you want to reiterate today. Well, a couple of things. First thing I am going to reiterate, we do have our conference coming up here, Jesse, in a couple of weeks out down there in Nashville near you uh, on February 6th and 7th. If anybody's interested in going, um, go to agmarket.net, hit the banner at the top. We'd be happy to have you out there and uh, let you see what we have to say on a personal basis. On the markets, I am just going to reiterate, now's the time to really crunch your numbers, find out your break-evens, and do not be afraid to lock in profits this year. I mean, we have changed the game dramatically. I've been doing this for 28 years. Um, you know, the game's changed. Uh, you know, the world's competition's there, but this dollar and what it could do is going to have a huge impact, and then just the cost of money. That is the one thing that people, I think, have got to take a serious approach. Storing grain this year, borrowing money this year, when you're looking at interest rates around five, six, seven, eight, nine percent that is going to have a huge impact on your balance sheet. It's something you're not used to doing. You've got to talk to your bankers about it, add in the higher interest rates, and uh, make sure you come up with a marketing plan that guarantees your profits this year. Well, and again, their conference coming up here in a couple of weeks in Nashville. All the details, and you can reach out to them as well. Contact them, agmarket.net, or you can give them a call, 844-4-AG-MARKET. Jim McCormick, always a pleasure, sir. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks in Nashville. Sounds good. Thank you, Jesse. Have a good day.
And once again, we appreciate the time. That is Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joining us here today on the show with market analysis. And again, you can get signed up for their conference coming up in Nashville here in just a couple of weeks. Agmarket.net is the place to go for all the information. All right, coming up here after the break, we will wrap up today's show. Going to take a look at some of the latest news headlines throughout the world of agriculture. We will get to those, including a look at what's going on with the South American crops, specifically in Brazil. We'll talk about that and more coming up here next as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, for joining us with market analysis there in segment two and three. Always appreciate his time and insight. Let's shift over. Let's take a look at some other news headlines here in agriculture before we wrap up the show today. Well, we see the harvest in Brazil just beginning to get going here in the last couple of weeks. Danielle C. Keira, a market analyst with Ag Rural in Brazil, talks about the minimal harvest results. Well, we have here for Brazil, 1.8% of our area had been harvested in Brazil. It's a little below last year's. Uh, last year, it was 4.7%. And the five-year average was 2.8%. So we are a little late, but it's nothing very worrisome so far. She says the reasons behind the slow start vary among the different states. If we take a look at Mato Grosso, which is our top producer, it's moisture. It's excessive moisture. Every year, it rains a lot in January. If we have a normal year, January is very rainy, but they have intervals between rains when it's very hot and there's lots of sunshine. So farmers are able, for example, let's say it rains during the night and then in the morning it's sunny and it's hot. They are able to harvest in the morning already because it dries up very, very quickly. Now, Sikera says they can't seem to get that consistent sunshine that helps dry out the soybeans enough for harvest. While some states are too wet, others are still too dry. Rio Grande do Sul has problems this year because it has been dry and it has been hot. It's not as serious as in Argentina, not at all. And it's not as serious as the situation we had last year when we had a big crop failure here in southern Brazil. So it's not that bad. But yes, we already have some losses in Rio Grande do Sul. Uh, to give you an example, last week we had a new production estimate. And for Brazil, we have... 152.9 million metric tons. It's a big crop, our best crop ever. But in Rio Grande do Sul, we had to cut 1.1 million metric tons because of this dry and hot conditions. While Ag Rural primarily deals with Brazil, she does have sources in Argentina that say it's been a rough season. Argentina is still planting soybeans and corn. They have about 90% of their area of corn planted so far and 95% of their soybean area is planted. So what they have faced this crop is very complicated because even before the planting season, which started in September, Argentina was already facing very dry conditions. So they have a long-term drought. And during the crop season, they have had below normal rains systematically. And now in January, they have had very high temperatures. 
So even when they get some rain, it's so hot and the soil is so dry that they keep in need of rain all the time. AgRural recently cut its soybean crop estimate by 700,000 metric tons to 152.9 million metric tons. The consulting firm lowered its corn crop estimate by 400,000 metric tons to 123.9 million metric tons. Despite the cuts, both crops would still be all-time record yields. The agricultural economy is dependent on so many different factors like weather, government regulations, and inflation, and the past couple of years have given agriculture challenges on each of those fronts. During the recent Potato Expo, Robobank global strategist Stephen Nicholson said the best advice he can give is be patient. I mean, we're in a situation now of high inflation. Yes, it's come down, but this is not going to go away tomorrow. So to think that fertilizer, seed costs, equipment costs, part costs, fuels are going to go down tomorrow, land costs go down, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. You have to be better planners, really. Let's kind of use the same word. Because one of the things we started talking to producers, even last spring, we said, you need to start planning for 23 now. And frankly, if you're planning for 23 season now, you're probably behind the eight ball. And as we know, Nicholson says year to year, there are no guarantees. If you can take risk off the table, why not do that? You know, farming is an inherently risky business from the very start. Because of all the influences that are out there, let's do something to try to take that risk off the table. Because we can't control governments, we can't control NGOs, we can't control the weather. But we can control our reaction to what the market gives us, and in a sense, plan according to what the market does give us. He says not to look for any quick fixes to the agricultural economy, but it won't be all bad. When we look at both prices from a, a sell side and also a buy side from an input perspective and also for livestock farmers, you know, we'd expect 23 to be fairly a fairly good year from a price perspective, from a farmer's perspective. We think 24 has that potential as well. Fortunately, Nicholson says we usually bounce back. Yeah, we do. And and, and I'm going to quote one of my uh, one of the macroeconomists in, here in the States. He says the U.S. economy is the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. And, and I think it's a great quote because it does say, and not a, sort of a, a chamber of commerce sort of speech, but the U.S. economy is the most resilient in the world. The optimistic Nicholson says he expects an uptick in ag exports later this year as well. And a survey from Farm Futures shows the 2023 acreage battle is ongoing. However, there could be a surprise when it comes to the total number of corn and soybean acres. A surge in projected wheat acres and costly inputs will likely limit any expansion of corn and soybean acres. About 70% of the respondents said they were locked in on 2023 acreage decisions by late December. Farm Futures says corn and soybean plantings will increase only minimally compared to past projections, due in large part to shrinking profit margins for both corn and soybeans. The survey shows that 90.5 million acres of corn and 88.9 million acres of soybeans will get planted in the spring. Soaring costs of inputs likely mean more wheat acres as wheat typically requires less nitrogen and hydrous ammonia retailed for about $1,400 per ton last fall. So many farmers opted for less nitrogen intensive crops for 2023 planting. Well, I know that survey from Farm Futures. I've definitely been keeping the acreage battle in the back of my mind, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out here over the next couple of weeks and months ahead, how that factors into the market trade as well. And uh, it, it's definitely going to be an interesting one this year with the cost of inputs and more. So something that we're going to be watching and talking about here, I'm sure on market talk that's gonna do it for the show today coming up tomorrow we'll have a conversation with mike zuzalo global commodity analytics thanks so much for joining us as always i'm your host jesse allen have a great rest of your day we'll talk to you tomorrow why
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. 